Hello, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Freddie. I'm joined today by Greg and uh, no one else. So it'll be just the two of us today. That's right. Just you and me, Freddie. Freddie, how do you pronounce your last name? Orozco. Orozco. Nice and smooth. Yeah, Orozco. So no, no like ah sounds in there at all. None at all. I've most of my life I've had friends who call me Orozco. Yeah. Or Roscoe. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's not that's not even a Mexican name. Yeah. Roscoe. Yeah. <laughs> but sure, if that's what you want to call me. Orozco. Orozco. Nice. But I'll answer to anything. That's smooth. Oh yeah. I'm a smooth guy. What do you want to know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are uh, maybe have missed last week's episode, is this your first time hosting? Uh, this is actually my second time hosting, except last week I was supposed to host, but I couldn't get my computer to work, unfortunately. So this is legit the first time that- No, this is my good... second time. Okay. Nice try. But so, I couldn't get my computer to work and I, I really, I was struggling. Okay, but wait, have people heard you yet? Yeah, they have. Okay. I've been here before. Okay. Yeah. That's my question. Okay. Yeah. I've, this is uh, like my third, third go around, uh, I think. Yes. But yes. So I'm not new anymore, if that's what you're wondering. No. But still a rookie. Right. Speaking of rookies, mm. how about those Boston rookies getting sent home? Come on. So one of the things that we know about our listeners is that they love talking about NBA basketball. Mm. So we're going to take just, just a, a short little moment here because I need to say, I need to say something that it's crazy to me that people are going to try to make the argument that LeBron is not the greatest of all time. Are you a LeBron fanboy? No, I'm not. Are you a fanboy? I no. I just, when you just look at it, you just look at him as a player Look at him, and you look at the, the way that he can do everything on the floor against better defenses that Michael than Michael Jordan had to play against mm-hmm. with less help. Yes, sure. He won a title with Kyrie, granted. But but Michael had Scottie Pippen and Scottie Pippen was a very effective basketball player in his own right. Totally. So here's here's my thing. Yeah. I don't really care about the historical contrast wow. because I, the league was different. Okay. So it's it's apples and oranges. So that doesn't matter to me. So when I evaluate LeBron, what I want to know is are you everyone is just obsessed with the man, right? Skip Bayless, um, Colin Cowherd, they're all like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity. This guy, basketball. And like, and they're fans. Like, I thought you were a fan, but they're fans. Yeah. Right? I respect him. I think he's a good player. I don't, I would never take away anything from him. What I don't like is I don't like people saying he's the greatest. And then some of the things that he does really make me not like his, his leadership. And I felt the exact same way about Kobe. Where like when Kobe was hooping, I was like, Kobe, Kobe's a man. Like that, that guy can, he can shoot the ball, mm. right? He's, he's good at putting a, a ball full of air through a hoop better than anyone probably. But I, I never really liked him as a teammate where like there was stuff that he did that I was just like, I would just hate to work with you. Mm. And like, and for NBA guys, that's their job, right? That's what they do. So he, like he would just yell at teammates if they missed messed, messed up right and I just I never really liked that so LeBron mm. kind of does the same thing and I, mm. he does it Harden does it so like I don't like either of those guys so I'll watch them get beat not like they just give up on the play and then yell at a teammate for not help side defending and then I'll watch them two or three possessions later get beat give up on the play the teammate help side defends and then ball get, ball gets kicked out open three and then LeBron's like, what? You needed to get there too. And I'm like, that's your job now. Like, so he tells people to do stuff that he himself does not do. Mm. 
But then when you watch like game seven, he was amazing. Game six, mm. he was amazing. So I'm like, I, he's a good player. I, I probably the best player of our generation. Like I'm not, but I just greatest of all time. I'm not, he's not even a good teammate. Mm. And like, yeah, he's a good teammate because he gets guys assists and stuff. But I'm like, you know who's a good basketball player? Tim Duncan. Yeah, Tim Duncan because he was a good teammate. There you go. That's what I think. There's your basketball take. Extra podcast listeners, this is why you tune in. You tune in week after week to hear Jeff tell stories of the old days in New Zealand (laughs) and about the, the grandeurs of the Pacific Northwest. That's right. That's right. And you hear it to to hear a a guy with two two young kids who I can't play basketball to save my life talk with a a Mexican descended not relevant I don't know how that's relevant Oregon born <laughs> yes. Columbia Bible College basketball yeah, team player there. that's right talk about the NBA that's why you guys listen we know we know we're just giving you what you want well, I I wanted to be a sportscaster like not shut up me not too. A, Really? Yeah. No, I didn't actually. I'd rather okay. rather work in the church. But wow. I mean, but now I feel sure bad. that'd be good too. No, this this was my first plan. So if this doesn't work out, sports casting is my fallback. There you go. That's why I try to get this practice in. I think you could, you could do it. You could do sports casting. You know, I I've thought about it. You I have really a, have. You have enough enough opinions. I have a lot of opinions. I certainly do. Yeah. The thing is, I I don't know if I'm like funny enough right. every time. Yeah, you're Because sometimes my opinions aren't very funny. Right. Where some guys, their opinions are always funny. Right. Sometimes my opinions offend people. Right. And, and that makes for good TV, but I don't know if that makes great radio. And then you have me say to you, just relax. Yeah, just relax. You know what? Speaking of relax, there's a, I had a great experience today. And by great, I mean terrible. Okay. I was at Canada Post. And for those of you who don't know, I am an American. I don't, I've mentioned that before. I just told I them. Oh, you did? I just okay. told them. You're Mexican so, descended, Oregon okay. born. So American resident. Sorry. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. So I don't have status in Canada aside from my study permit. So I've filed for permanent residency and it's well on its way. We're like in the final stages. I just had to mail the last bit of paperwork they wanted. And you did that today. I did that today. So it's a pretty big moment for big me. Big day. I know. I was looking around trying to take a picture with someone or something, but no one... And, I, and then I wasn't actually in the mood because the lady who helped me out from Canada Post was very unfriendly. So here's what oh, happened. No. I show up. I purchased my package or delivery envelope or whatever it is because yep. I need, you need to purchase a specific one to get the tracking. And I needed the tracking because yep. my life depends on it. Yep. So I, I'm going to pay for it. I put the address on it. And then I was like, okay, uh, I think this is the right address. And she's like, okay, just cool it. And I was like, <laughs> Uh, I'm not mad. I, I just want to make sure it's the right address. And yeah. she's like, okay, yeah, I'm working here. I'm, I got it. And then I'm like, okay, I, but I've, I've messed up before. So like, this is like, it's permanent residency stuff. She's like, so where's it going? I'm like, well, uh, Ottawa. And she's like, yeah, but where in Ottawa? And like, and she's, she's mad at me. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, well, here's the postal code. And she's like, okay. And I'm, and then she's pointing at the wrong. One. I'm like, no, no, the other one. And she's like, cool it. Cool. And, and she, so she told me like three or four times in our conversation to cool it. Then she types in the postal code, code, types it in wrong, and I correct her, and she's like, and she was about to like look at me again, but I'm like, I think it was this one, and I'm trying to say it as like innocently as possible, and she's like, oh, and but couldn't even say I was right. Yeah. So she's telling me to cool it, and by the end of it, I'm like, Dude, you can't get mad right now because this is your life on the line. So that's right. But for her, I was like, what? You, she was pushing me towards being not cool, but <laughs> right. when I showed up, I was decidedly cool. Right. So I. 
sometimes people say things that yeah. become self-fulfilling prophecies. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. Yeah. So you tell me to relax. Yeah. Almost made me just, not relax. <laughs> just sets you on edge. So that's a warning. No, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, the, the level of intensity of which you speak everything that that's you true. say. I have one, you one have, speed. You are, you wake up and you're intense. That's right. That's right. I love it. Yeah. You I, are, you are a light switch. There's no dimmer. Nope. You're on or off. You're Don't either. Need one. <laughs> Don't need one. Who needs a dimmer? That's what I'm saying. Who needs different levels of excitement? No, I have one level of excitement. Everything's awesome that's all right. the time. Or you're asleep. Or yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the extra podcast. I think we're going to talk what? about yeah, there we go. some stuff besides yeah. LeBron. So and did you, did you preach this weekend? I couldn't remember. I preached. Oh, you did. Okay. I did. I, sometimes I confuse you and Jeff, you know, you're oh, up there and you do the same thing or that's whatever. Right. Yeah. We're both, everyone looks the same to you because we're white. That, that's not that where saying? I was going, but I was, was going to say, cause you're both tall, dark and handsome. Sure. Felt that way. I'm actually not tall. Okay. So short, I'm smart. I have a beard and talk a lot and glasses. Oh, you he's and Paul tall. Siemens. He's that's tall. Right. <laughs> actually Paul Siemens and I get mixed up. Quite okay. A bit. Uh, I preached this weekend from uh, Joel chapter one and we, man, we try to mix up the genres that we preach from. So we, we try to mix it up old new Testament. We try to do uh, biography series. We try to do all kinds of different stuff. And we were sitting last year thinking to ourselves, we haven't done like a, a prophetic book in a long time. Ezra Cote who's one of our pastors, a mission campus pastor, he has been fighting for us to do a, a prophetic book forever. Like I've been a part of these meetings now for, I don't know, last three, four years or something like that. Every year he wanted a prophetic book out there. So this year we finally got it. We're in Joel. Uh, I got to start off the series and man, the, the prophets say some hard stuff. They certainly do. And and it's it's the kind of genre of the Bible that I think most of us as Christians feel uh, not particularly interested in reading because we don't actually have a, have a good job accessing what's going on in the book. So they're really influenced by their historical context. Yeah. And so because of that, it's a harder it's a harder book to just pick up and read in your Bible study plan than the Psalms or Proverbs or historical narrative or gospels and like almost any other genres easier to pick up and read than the prophetic books, except maybe apocalyptic. It's probably apocalyptic's the hardest to read. So and like then Revelation, prophets, the yeah, end of Daniel, things yeah, like that, that kind of stuff. We, we typically feel uncomfortable with feeling like confident what's going on. Cause the imagery. Yeah. The, okay. And then I think after that, it's, it's probably the prophetic books where okay. we would start feeling like, Whew, I don't actually know what's going on here and what what's happening. So, so the first week that we're in this series, um, Joel one, he, you know, his intro is, Hey, I'm Joel. How about them locusts? So he's an and intense guy off. too. He's an intense dude. He doesn't waste like, no, any time. That's what, he light switch. People would have told him to, to cool it Oh man! and he would have lost it. So it was, a. You know, the prophetic books are never easy because they're always dealing with something really, really difficult in the life of Israel, some some kind of sin or some kind of event. And so Joel 1 is no exception. It's a really difficult passage. There's no real way of engaging the prophetic literature without taking some time to just sit under the weight of the warnings and under the weight of um, of the imagery of what, what the author is trying to communicate. So this week we talked about how the locust attack was 
devastating in the land of Israel, how the, there was the ramifications of the locust attack was that the means through which Israel was supposed to worship God was cut off from them and how, uh, Joel makes it really clear through his call to repentance and through some other means that he does in his communication strategy. He makes it really clear that this locust attack is not just a natural disaster. It's actually a God thing. So when we were looking at that passage and we were talking in our sermon preview meeting, one of the things that we talked about, I mean, I, I there were a few directions you could go when you start off a sermon series in a, in a prophetic book, right? You could talk about how are the prophets different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could talk about, you could have spent a lot more time on, on it, Israel's history of where the prophets actually located and what were their roles and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what you have is a text about a natural disaster that God's ultimately saying that was something I'm involved in. It was a God thing. And that's a, that's a hard thing for us. It certainly is. So I, I tried to restrict the conversation, the sermon about mostly naturally kind of things rather than I had a few questions from people like, Hey, why didn't you bring up stuff like Nazi Germany in this? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that was a bad thing. And are you saying that was a God thing and that kind of stuff? And I, I try to stay away from the realm of like when other people are directly involved in it, because mm-hmm. that adds a layer of nuance yeah. that I just, you don't have time for I didn't have on time, a Sunday morning. I didn't have okay. time for it's understandable. And because this passage isn't about other people coming to do bad things. It's about a natural disaster taking place. That did bad things. Now, later on in Joel, I think he's going to be talking about an actual army that comes in and does bad things. And there are other places in the Old Testament where Israel's being sent into exile and another army comes in to do bad things. So so there is a we do have to have the conversation mm-hmm. about when someone intentionally does something poorly to someone else. Is that still under God's providence? But I think at the end of the day, the 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 scripture is consistent on the idea that the reason it takes place is ultimately because God allows it to take place. He's not surprised by it. He's not um, unable to stop it. And he's not uninterested in his creation that, that as though he's, you know, not paying attention and he didn't even know that it took place. God, God is aware he's powerful, he's involved and yet bad things still happen. And so what I was trying to do this weekend was basically just help our, our glasses have the proper prescription in them so that when we see the world, we recognize that actually all things, good things and bad things are ultimately God things. Even if there's other primary causes that we would look to first to say that happened because of this other primary cause. But Mm -hmm. ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of the conversation, it takes place because God either caused it or he allowed it. To okay. take place. So then the the two alternatives that you offered, right? God doesn't care. He's just this clock winder God, mm-hmm. I think is the, the image you used. Or that God is arm wrestling Satan. And, mm-hmm. and so apparently sometimes he loses because he's not lifting weights enough. Come right. on. So those two alternatives, neither of those work with that. The, the God that you're portraying that is all powerful, that is in control of everything, that sovereignly is in charge. Yeah. You know, I think we... We don't always like the feeling that bad things are ultimately God things. And so in an attempt to rescue God's reputation um, and protect his character, we come up with other excuses, uh, other reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not persuaded that those other reasons actually leave us in any better spot, right? Like it's not the fact that bad things happen. It's not a better reason that 
God couldn't have stopped Satan. Because mm-hmm. that that's not a very positive picture of the God who promises to save and redeem us at the end yeah. of all time. Right? Because then it's Satan. like, I don't know, maybe not. Unless right. unless I lose that one. I sure hope then, he can uh, be Satan that day. Right. Yes. So that's not actually any better. Okay. Um, so suffering is a problem and, and we're just trying to answer it. Totally. And the solution is not to throw out God's providence. I, no. And I, I think we need to recognize that we will have a question at the end of the day mm-hmm. that you will be left with a question. So this idea that we can wrap it up and provide an answer so that there is no more question is just, I, I don't think possible. It's okay. not realistic Okay. because I think the, the scriptures leave with a question. The, 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 the question the scriptures end with is, well, why, why does God allow this to happen? That's, and that's why Job, the book of Job ends the way it does is God basically responding to Job saying, well, like, who are you? I'm God to question not. me about why. And, and that's honestly, that's so how trust that ad, totally faith, I guess is the, is the answer to that. Okay. Yeah. Which doesn't sound that great to people that are suffering. No. And, and nor is it necessarily, I think supposed to. Okay. I, I think one of the things that if there was a weakness, one of the weaknesses in my sermon mm-hmm. would have been that I didn't emphasize enough the call on the Christian life to mourn with those who mourn. Okay. That, that the response to someone who's in a difficulty, who, whose farm is hit with the locust plague that now they can't feed their family. The response in that moment, the Christian response is not to say, well, it's a God thing. The Christian response is to mourn with those who mourn okay. and to do what we can to provide for the needs of our brothers and sisters. Okay. Like that, that's, that's how Christians respond to tragedy. Okay. Is through mourning and through doing what we can to, to provide resources and help and support when when people need it. But just because that's how we respond doesn't mean that it's not theologically, philosophically, biblically true that the the at the end of the day the bad thing happened because it was ultimately a God thing. Okay. So there's I I, I propose two different kinds of not approaches, but, but two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. that there's the Christian answer Mm -hmm. to the problem of bad things. But then there's the Christian Christian response to bad things, empathy, which is empathy, which is involvement, which is mourning, all that kinds of stuff. Okay. It's interesting that you, you use Job in your sermon because Job uh, begins of course with a tragedy of him losing his family and and all his material possessions. And then his friends show up, Mm. right. And his friends sit with them and mourn with them. And so they appear to have your, recommended Christian response, right? Of empathy and mourning with, Mm. with someone who's lost everything. Um, but then they kind of follow the paradigm that often Christians take where we're like, well, if this is suffering and God is still good, then you must deserve it. Mm. So it must have been sin, right? And his friends are adamant, Job, what did you do? You had to have sinned because God is good Mm. and we are not. Mm. So God doesn't do mean things to people just because, so then you had to have sinned. So right. what would you say to, to those Christians or to people? Cause that's, that often tends to be a very easy response, totally. unfortunately. Totally. Um, so it's a little bit nuanced, I think. Okay. As it should be. But my, my take is that the, the, the problem, the error that Job's friends made was not on the suggestion that the suffering could have been, a response to personal sin. Mm-hmm. I think the error that Job's friends made was the insistence that the suffering was brought on by personal sin. Okay. 
So we, we have other passages like, um, in the book of James and James five, where, where the language of personal sin and sickness is actually linked. Um, so James five, verse 14, is anyone, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So so there, there is a um, connection there between the confessing of sins and receiving healing. So okay. James James is not saying that your sickness is necessarily brought on by a particular sin, but mm-hmm. what he is saying is that there is a possibility okay. that unconfessed sin is an aspect of, is a part of what's going on here. This is the same thing with that Paul engages in 1 Corinthians where he says the the, the fact that you guys have mishandled communion in your midst and you've so oppressed the poor in your midst that you haven't allowed them to partake in communion. All the rich people get drunk and fed and the poor people leave away with nothing. Paul says, this is a a reason why some of you are sick and even dying. Okay. So this sin Paul links with people's illnesses, this unconfessed habitual sin, it Paul Mm -hmm. links with, with illnesses. So it's, I, I don't think it's wrong biblically to suggest that someone might be suffering because of personal sin. I think it's wrong to insist that someone suffers necessarily because of personal sin. Because this is the disciples coming to Jesus in John 9 with that framework saying, the reason this guy's blind is because someone sinned. So who was it, him or his parents? Whose personal sin caused, necessarily caused this man's blindness, his, his illness? And Jesus said, no, it was neither. So in, in some cases you have people saying, no, look, confess your sins and, and, and maybe you'll be healed. Or, or look, if you don't confess this sin, this is one of the reasons why you're sick. And in other cases you have Jesus saying, no, it was neither. There, there was no one's person or Job. It wasn't because okay. of his personal sin. So I, I think, I, I think we need to, I think one of the motivations for that though, yeah. why we want to say that people are, are, are sick or have bad things happen because they sin is because we want to buy into some kind of karmic okay. worldview. So it's, it's a, like a syncretism then with the culture around us that uses that language. It's just very accessible. Yeah. So the Christians just try to do the same thing. Yeah. So okay. syncretism is, is the, is the taking of two worldviews and blending them together. Right. It's okay. like you take out a, you take out a, your magic bullet, your smoothie, you take Christianity, you take another doctrine, you throw it all in the same cup, you, you blend it up and you all drink in the same and, place. You, and you drink right. your syncretism smoothie. So okay. I think at times we're tempted to become syncretists and drink a smoothie that, that tastes okay. like Christianity and also karma. Okay. And so what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't think that that is actually a, that's not the kind of smoothie you should be drinking if you want to okay. have your mind formed by Christian truths. Okay. So Again, I, I think part of the challenge with Job's friends was was the idea of this insisting that that Job had sinned and that was the cause of of his suffering. Whereas, I don't think it's a bad thing to ask someone. I, th- I think in humility, like, can you notice any areas where maybe mm-hmm. is are there any areas in your life where you know you're living in unrepentant sin? Okay, I I think that should be a question we ask 
ourselves. Maybe all the time, all not the time. just in suffering. Yeah. All the time. Okay. Um, I think we need to be really careful about how we do it with someone who's in the midst of suffering, because okay. if we're not really careful and loving and nuanced with the way we say it, uh, it can sound like we're saying you that we this. think you are sick because necessarily you've yeah. sinned, even if that's not what we're intending. So sometimes I think it's better to just, okay. I think often it's better to, to mourn with the person, okay. to, to help support them and, and pray to God mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit would convict them of sin if sin is an issue that's okay. leading this. I, I have a big enough view of God that the Holy Spirit can impress something on our minds and on our hearts that we need to repent of without someone verbalizing that to us. Okay. So, so I, I think if someone's suffering, let's trust the work of the Spirit to use the Word of God and, and see if the Spirit prompts them to repentance. And maybe that'll be a part of their healing or maybe not. Okay. So then for Christians responding to suffering, it's way more important than that they listen than, than say anything because God is still working in the midst of that. Right. Which is kind of the, the thesis of your entire sermon, right? That God is still working. Yeah. Everything's a God thing. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I couldn't help but think, um, because you, you, you kept saying that, right? It's a God thing. It's a God thing. And I was, I was thinking like how, well, it's easy for me to pallet because I, mm. I already believe what you believe. I'm in mm-hmm. the same boat mm-hmm. and my, like my life is pretty good right now. I, I happily married. I have a great job. Um, if that Canada Post lady didn't, you know, wrong me, then yeah. I'm going to have residency soon by go. God's grace. Yeah. So like, I'm good. But there, there's people like right now mm. that are not, right? Mm. And and I couldn't help but think of of the Humboldt tragedy, right? Like those those parents, right? Mm. Our media has forgotten, mm-hmm. right? Because there's, there's a new thing, right? With whatever Trump has said or mm-hmm. whatever's happening in the world, right? The media moves on. But th- those parents, they like they wake up every day mm. and they see their empty bedrooms, right, mm-hmm. where their children used to be. So they're they're still there. Mm. And um, I, I was just curious, would you nuance your your what you preached a little bit different if if your context was something like that, where these people just came out of some serious suffering and and you want them to keep their faith in God because yeah. everything is a God thing, but you recognize that they you know they have experienced some significant suffering. Yeah. yeah. So look, if I was preaching at that funeral, I would not have preached this sermon. Well, not, no, not at the funeral. Right. <laughs> but li- life goes on. Right. And the, right. The, and that, yeah. that's the hardest thing of suffering, right? The world doesn't stop. No. Right. I, I think it's been said before on this podcast and I'll be say again that, that one of the things that we, we believe in as a preaching team here is that we believe that a major part of our job as preachers of God's word is to prepare people for suffering. It's not the only thing. Obviously, we try to exalt Christ and we try to preach the gospel so so people have have hope and all that kind of stuff, right? But when when we have the opportunity to, right, if if following Jesus is about picking up your cross and following him, if Jesus says things like, it's going to be hard for you to follow me, then then when, when the passages arise where we have to talk about hard things, when they come, then, then we need to take that responsibility seriously and say, okay, here's going to be an opportunity for us to be involved in some worldview forming that in the moment mm-hmm. might not bring any solace, but, but at the end of the day, what it is, is it's a, it's a, it's helping build a foundation upon which as, as we grow and as we age and as good things and bad things take place. We, we have a foundation that can hold all the weathers of life. Okay. And, and I think that, that that's the kind of thing I was trying to do this past week. So I, I don't imagine that my sermon would have brought 
overwhelming comfort to someone in the midst of a very difficult trial. Okay. But the spirit of God can do whatever he wants. I, I, I prayed that, that it would have been, mm-hmm. but, but maybe it wasn't. And maybe it was just a sermon primarily for people like the Freddies who things are going mostly well, mm-hmm. who's in a, in a time in a space where he can actually hear something like this. Mm-hmm. So that when things do go downhill for you, inevitably that now it goes downhill for you. Now that storm of life hits you, but you're standing on a little bit more solid of a foundation than you were okay. before. So it sounds like your, your motivation was a, a worldview change, mm-hmm. right? That you were trying to, which it, it seems like you really capture the heart of Joel because he's, he's doing the same thing, right? This terrible tragedy happened, natural disaster, and he is giving or trying to give the, the people of Israel a yep. worldview. Yep. And it seems like you're trying to do the same thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes sermons, you know, they, they try to go more for the affections. Um, they, they try to get us to feel certain things. They try to get us to, to be um, a motive in a particular mm-hmm. way, remorse, joy, Commendable hope, love, all, all great things. Other sermons are, are, are designed to, to, to motivate action, mm-hmm. to change behavior, to have us do certain things, to have us act in certain ways. Those are also good sermons. And I think some sermons are more worldview forming ones and, okay. and they help us put pieces together of, of how the world works, um, and helps us make, make sense of it that way. So I think if we come into church, always expecting a sermon to be about our, our, our emotions or about our actions or about our thoughts, we're going to always be disappointed because I think different sermons are going to have different, okay. different goals. Okay. So then your, your goal is to challenge people's worldview. And so then if, if someone came up to you after the sermon, Oh, pastor Greg, I, you know, I, I heard what you said, but like you seem to say that Satan didn't cause this, but did God, like you're, you're trying to break that paradigm then like that's, that's the biggest goal then, right? That a plus B equals C that deductive logic Mm. that says it, you know, it has to be either one A or B Mm. because suffering is C, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I did have people ask me questions after the sermon in the hallways and, um, asking me, it, it was interesting though, a lot, a lot of the people who wanted to ask the questions to talk about it philosophically, uh, tended to be in a season of life that was generally good. Yeah. And the people who were in a season of life that where they're going through struggles, I got uh, quite a few emails from people who are in the midst of a very difficult season Yeah, that felt encouraged knowing that even though everything is disintegrating in front of them. Yeah that they have a God who is active and involved and who cares and who knows and who is working in, in this. And Amen. so that that's why I think it's a worldview forming sermon because for those okay. people who are in the stage where they had the time and space to think about it, they could go to that next level and, and ask the questions, well, what do you, what do you think about, you know, the, are you saying this is the same kind of thing with, with the Nazis or is this the same kind of thing when someone commits murder or all, all those other, that different dynamic of when you're adding in personal actions in the midst of it. Um, those people are in a kind of a headspace where they could have that philosophical argument. And, and I would say at the end of the day, um, we, I think it's the same answer that, that ultimately if it takes place, it's ultimately a God thing, but I just didn't get into that cause I didn't have the yeah. time to do it, but yeah. Okay. Well, if, uh, you have more questions for, for Greg, feel free to send them in mm-hmm. at extra at northview.org. 
There you go. Or directly to Greg. That's good too. Yes, sir. Right. The yeah, and I hope that you are are blessed by this this worldview change. Right. And the, and the last thing I think that image of of prescriptions for your glasses that mm. so appropriate, right? Because the circumstances aren't changing, mm. but the worldview is. Mm-hmm. So, I hope that was good to those who listened. Yeah. Thank you. The end. Hello. That's all I have. Love it. Thanks, Freddie.